Paul gives a lot of instruction in his letters about how to live. Indeed, it's because he is so precise in his do's and don'ts that he has had a tumultuous relationship with the church throughout all of these centuries. We hear it here in 1 Corinthians, but you might also remember passages from his letter to the Ephesians when he goes on and on about women and their head coverings and who should submit to who and things like that. Indeed, it is because of these specific instructions that people have wondered what to do with Paul. Some would like to just ignore him. But our canons, that being the scriptures that have been handed down to us throughout the centuries, remind us that we have to pay attention. And part of paying attention is paying attention to the unrest that his teachings ignite within us. You see, Paul believed that all of life should be in glory to God. Every part of it. And he took up every matter that was known to humankind. He believed that the sum of life was in the sum of living. It was not in the achievements or accomplishments. It was not in certain merits or certain um, degrees that the sum of life was in the sum of living. It was in the everydayness that we find ourselves in. So I want to look at this passage from 1 Corinthians, but I want to look at it not on an individual level, but instead on a collective level. Because as Paul talks about the body, he also talks about the body collective, what it is to be the body of Christ. He does it in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians and in the 12th chapter of his letter to the Romans. He talks about the body of Christ, an understanding of ourselves as a whole, together the body of Christ. This was something that was so profound to Paul because of his own conversion experience. When he was on the road to Emmaus, he encountered the risen Lord. And he encountered the risen Lord on this road to Emmaus after the stoning of Stephen, when he was filled with fervor for righteousness, and so filled with fervor that he was persecuting followers of Jesus. And so here he is out on the road to Emmaus when he encounters the risen Lord who says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And it is then that he realizes that in dealing with the followers of Jesus, he's been dealing with Christ himself. That together, those who follow Jesus' way make the body of Christ. And that's what he teaches in Corinthians, the 12th chapter. So I want to look at what we're reading here in the 6th chapter about the instructions of the body from the idea of our collective nature, what it means the body to be the body of Christ and what his teachings, how they might inform us together as the body of Christ known as St. Stephen's. I want to talk about this because I believe that it informs my work here. I truly believe that it's up to you to work out your own salvation. And the scriptures give you all kinds of instructions and advice on how to do that. But my responsibility as the rector of St. Stephen's is to think about how it is that we 
work it out together as the body of Christ known as the church. When I look at the readings and hear the reading from 1 Samuel this morning, where Eli is going to be punished because he did not take issue with the wrongdoing that happened right under his nose, I think, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be Samuel, the one who is trusted because he speaks the word of God. And so I come to this passage this morning, this sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, with the, un- the idea of looking at it as the body of Christ collective. Who is it that we, St. Stephen's, are? And what might these teachings have to do with us, the body of Christ? Indeed, the church as the body of Christ can be tempted to prostitution like anybody else. To be a prostitute is to sell that which is not measurable by money, but to make it an exchange, something that can be bought. Indeed, the church has something that cannot be bought. We have the good news known in Jesus. And yet there can be temptations as a collective to think about, is there something we need to do to secure our future? Prostitution always happens with an air of desperation. Sell the body in order to have the next meal. So the church can be tempted into the same thing, to consider what it is that perhaps we should sell in order to secure at least the immediate future. I believe that we are not practicing that now. But I don't fool ourselves or fool myself into thinking it won't remain a temptation. You know that we have our budget forum after this service for any of you who want to come. And it's a faithful budget. It's a maintenance budget, but it is faithful. That is what we are called to do as the body of Christ, to be faithful in what we have not giving ourselves over to fear because we don't know how we will be provided for. God promises to provide for our every need. And now the topic of fornication, adultery. Paul had, in those that heard his teachings, Paul experienced selective listening. Indeed, the church in Corinth, like other groups that had heard from him, heard that the coming of the Christ was imminent. It was going to be any time. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, and if not then, maybe the next day. It was coming. And so people had a sense that, you know what, all this is going to pass away. It's not, we're not going to take it with us. The end is coming. To quote some popular contemporary music, let's live like there's no tomorrow. There was a sense that there might, it might all come to an end tomorrow. And they coupled that anticipation with the good news that Paul brought to them, which was that we are saved by grace, not by the law. That we are not saved by our own merit. We are saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so combining those two teachings, they selectively chose, they felt a sense of promiscuity. Because look, we're not even going to be judged on this stuff. And God's coming soon. Paul takes issue with that. 
we as the church might be tempted into the same thing. Knowing that it is God's grace that saves us, we might be tempted into a lackadaisical nature. Forgetting that we keep the law not because it's our ticket into heaven, but it's because of our appreciation, our joy, the gift that we have of God in Jesus Christ. That's why we keep the law. We don't keep it fooling ourselves that we're getting into eternity in our, on our merit. We keep it because God has given us that in order that we might discover God in our midst. The law lays out for us practices that are God's currency, that provide the foundation for God to act. In fornication, in adultery, physical closeness is exchanged for real intimacy. Instead of real intimacy, only physical closeness happens. God calls us as a body into real intimacy, a vulnerability and a trust together, a vulnerability and a trust in relationship to God. What is God doing in us and through us and with us as the body of Christ, St. Stephen's Church? It's going to call us beyond ourselves. None of us can reach it on our own, and we can't even foresee the certainty of the end. But we enter into the dialogue with God in Christ so that we might see how it is that God is inviting us to trust God even more deeply, to confess that we do not know exactly where we're going, but we trust God to take us there, even if it challenges some of our familiar structures. I can't always dictate or prescribe or inform you of where it is God is calling us as a church. I know that scripture and our practice of prayer will clarify it for us all along the way. And I know that to be faithful is to show up for the work. Showing up is our work. Showing up is faithfulness. I was talking with someone recently whose child has been going through a difficult time in fact, this person's child had, has uh, attempted suicide on more than one occasion in the not-too-distant time frame. And this particular person was telling me about their hopes for their kid. They can't do their kid's life for them. And they want their kid to choose life. But what do you do as the parent the only thing that this parent knew how to do was to put their kid into a program that would sustain this child. And so they have. And as this individual was telling me, their kid is going to the group meetings, eating well, following the instructions. And I said to this parent, that is good. That is faith. Going through the actions is faith. Your kid might not be able to see that the problems that this person, she or he, is dealing with are too big. But it is true that eventually that will be made known. In faith, we do the work. We show up for the work. So I'm delighted for the ways that this congregation has shown up for the work. The work of faithfulness. Some of those are in the past, and some of them are coming up in the future. 
One thing that I'm encouraged by is that this upcoming weekend, Trinity Church Institute is offering a conference. I don't know how much you know about Trinity Church, but it's the church in Lower Manhattan, right there on Wall Street. And Trinity Church owns most of Lower Manhattan, having been given it by the queen or king or whoever was reigning then. But nonetheless, they own a lot and they have a lot as a church. And they have an institute that offers a conference every year, two and a half day, um, big speakers that come and small group dialogue and all that sort of thing. And this particular year, it's called Creating the Common Good. It's about economic equality. Now, it seems to me that we need to be a part of this conversation. I don't have an agenda for St. Stephen's, but St. Stephen's is located in Ridgefield. And Ridgefield is in Fairfield County. And Fairfield County is the richest county in the richest country in the world. And it just seems that faithfulness looks like showing up for the conversation. I'm delighted that there are a handful of people that are committed to going on Thursday night and for portions of the weekend. Who knows what God wants to do with us? I don't. But I know what it is that will help us know. Our scripture and our prayers will make it known to us. We have our community dinners that I hope that we can offer again during this Lenten season, which I will add, we need someone to oversee those. If you have an interest in being the facilitator of those five dinners, but I think these are hugely important because of the use of the Ridgefield Food Pantry. Because it gets depleted, there are people in our midst who need a free meal. And we have a perfect location to do that. What's God going to do with us? I don't know. But it seems like we can open our doors and serve a dish. We are in the work of faithful living. And God promises us that when we engage in that, God's glory will be made known. Because that's what we're actually made for. The body of Christ, the church, is made to make God's glory known. That's what we're all about. And so we come together week after week to ground ourselves again in scripture and in prayer so that God may make God's glory known to us so that it might be reflected in the world. Amen. <clears throat>